Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before the Lord, let us stand and affirm the promise that relates to the door of our hope. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Amen. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this once again privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so allow your inheritance in the name of the blood of the covenant to be lifted to heights higher than us and to break all sin and burden that binds us. In the name of Jesus Christ, may all the works of devil be cursed, illnesses, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of free fears, destruction, stagnancy, ignorance, all of this let it depart from the tents of your holy people and stand, Lord, in the place of your rest, you and the ark of your greatness. And may your saints be clothed in your salvation, and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit and fill us with your Holy Spirit. Allow us to find your holy countenance. We thank you that this service is presented in your divine arms, and we ask you to continue to lead it with your high and uplifted hand, Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. May you be blessed and seated. The Book of Apostle Paul to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24. Set aside the former way of life of the old man, growing corrupt in the deceitful lusts, and be renewed by the spirit of your mind, and be clothed into the new man, created by God in righteousness and holiness of truth. And so we are continuing to talk with pastor and behind pastor about the power for the right to set aside the old way of life in order to clothe our bodies into a new way of life. And as we heard for the fulfillment of this commandment written in the book of Apostle Paul and presented to us in the series of sermons of Apostle Arkady, there are three faithful commanding and foundational actions that are involved. This is to set aside to renew and to clothe. And from our answer of these questions will depend whether or not we turn ourselves into vessels of mercy or vessels of anger, or rather, will we perfect the self- our salvation that is given to us in the format of a seed, which in the, these three actions is necessary to place into circulation in the death of the Lord Jesus in order to gain it as a belonging in the format of the fruit of righteousness. Otherwise, we will lose justification given to us in the format of a deposit forever. And with regard to this, we have stopped to study the 18th Psalm of David that uncovers the contents of the eight names of God. And this prayer allowed God to David to call on the Lord to be saved from his enemies. And for God, knowledge and proclamation of the truths that uncover the powers of his name in the heart of David gave him the basis to use the powers of these capabilities and battle against the enemies of David. And so these eight names, when I proclaim them, and through this I express my love toward God, 
and I acknowledge him as the Lord who is worthy to be praised so that I can be saved from my enemies. And when God hears them, then this allows him to use the powers of these eight names in my battle against the enemies. So, Psalms 18. Lord, you are my strength, Lord, my rock, my deliverer, my fortress, the God, the rock of my salvation, in whom I will trust. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be saved, and so shall I be saved from my enemies. And let us together, as we do on Fridays, proclaim these eight names of God. Lord, you are my strength. Lord, you are my rock. Lord, you are my fortress. Lord, you are my deliverer. Lord, you are my rock of Israel. Lord, you are my shield. Lord, you are the horn of my salvation. Lord, you are my stronghold. Let the Lord hear these words, and may he make them firm in our hearts, and may he make us immovable, firm in hope, and in the adoption of our body. And in Scripture, the strength of the Most High is one of the names of God and one of the unchanging characteristics of God. In Hebrew, the word strength, so today we are studying specifically this first name. In Hebrew, the word strength, or the name strength that relates to God and His Word, contains the following dignities. The strength of the name of the Most High is the constructive and contrite force of the words of the Most High. It is the constructive it is the power, might, and potential in the Word of the Most High. It is the possibility of the Most High and the capability of the Most High. It is the truth of the Most High and the holiness of the Most High. It is the wealth of the Most High and the abundance of the Most High. It is the steadfastness and loyalty of the Most High to His Word. It is the unbrokenness of the Most High and the beauty of the Most High. It is the immutability of the Most High in form and quality and condition. So with these characteristics, this yields the name of God, shield. And as we see the name of God's strength, and as we see all these characteristics, he placed as the potential in his word. And if we do not accept this word in our heart, and if we do not renew our heart with this word, renew our thinking, if we do not proclaim this name of God with our meek lips, then he will not be able to use the potential that is contained in the name of God, shield. We must also understand that each time we call on Him and we say, Lord, You are my strength, we must understand that God hears us only through His Word. And if I have a conflict with the Word, and if I have a resonance with the Word of God, then that potential that is contained in this Word, it is not going to be able to fully realize itself. Someone says, can I directly speak with God? You can't. God can be spoken with through the Word. He's, he speaks with people through the format of His Word. So people say, sometimes, can I, can I just talk to Dad? No, you must speak to Him through the Word. But I have a conflict with this Word. This Word judges me. I have a resonance with this Word. And this is terrifying. A person who has, person who has resonance with the Word, he cannot collaborate with God in the name sh- Strength. The name of God, strength, will go against this person in the fact that if it falls on him, he will it will crush him. Therefore, 
all of these dignities, including the first name, strength, God has contained in His Word. And we should not have any conflict with the Word of God. Otherwise, none of these characteristics will work in our life, and we will not be able to use these. And so, before us, were four classic questions. What characteristics of Scripture endow the strength of the name of God Most High? Second, what purpose in our relationship with God are the powers contained in the strength of the name of God Most High intended to fulfill? Third, what conditions are necessary to fulfill to give God the basis to reveal the potential of His strength and battle with our enemies in the face of the old man with his works and Saul who searches to destroy us? And fourth, by which sign should we test ourselves that in our heart abides the powers of the strength of God Most High? In a certain format, we have already studied the first two questions, and therefore let us turn to studying the third question. And we today will cover it, and then in the future we will look at the fourth question. So let's read the third question. What conditions are necessary to fulfill to give God the basis to uncover the potential of His strength in battle against our enemies? So what is the price? The price so that we can cooperate with the name of God's strength. Lord, you are my strength. Behind this stands a specific price, and we today are going to look at several of these prices that the Word of God offers us so that we can collaborate with the name of God's strength. And the first condition or the first price for uncovering the potential of the strength of the name of God Most High in our heart, which is necessary for battle against our enemies, is comprised of the fear of the Lord and trust in the mercy of God. It turns out that in order to collaborate with the name of God's strength, it's necessary for us to first do, us to first acknowledge that we are in need of his mercy and this is a price psalms 147 5 through 11 great is our lord and mighty in power his understanding is infinite the lord lifts up the humble he casts the wicked down to the ground sing to the lord alternately with thanksgiving sing praises on the harp to our god who covers the heavens with clouds who prepares rain for the earth, who makes grass to grow on the mountains. He gives to the beast its food and to the young ravens that cry. He does not delight in the strength of the horse. He takes no pleasure in the legs of a man. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and in those who trust in his mercy. This is for those that collaborate with the name of God. The wickedness that prevents the unveiling of the potential of the strength of the name of God most high in our heart is trust or rather hope in the strength of the horse and trust in the strength of his own legs whereas resistance to this kind of wickedness is praise that comes from the heart and is filled with the fear of the Lord and trust in the mercy of God and as part paradox as it may seem this kind of battle in the humble with the wicked occurs in our heart and to challenge the wicked that resist the unveiling of the potential of the strength of the name of God most high in our heart it will be necessary for us to define first who is the wicked in our body who leads the battle to overtake our heart and what in our body is humbled and leads the battle to overtake that very same heart second 
what means and what weapons are necessary to enact for the unveiling of the strength of the name of God Most High in our heart in order to give God the basis to lift the humble over the wicked and humiliate the wicked to the ground. So these are these two questions that we will ask. How we can collaborate with the name of God, strength. And so the first question, who is wicked in our body, who leads the battle to overtake our heart? And what in our body is humbled and leads the battle to overtake that very same heart? And so the wicked in my essence and the humble, they lead a battle in order to overtake our heart. Let us take a look at who the wicked are. And of course, first, the wicked in Scripture is defined by the fallen angel who tried to take place of God in order to be like the Most High. And when God, when Pastor mentions the three kinds of wicked, there's one thing that combines them. They are not satisfied by their place, and they are always hunt for the place of another. This is the first sign of the presence of the wicked in a person. And in this case, before us, the fallen angel who tried to take the place of God in order to be like the Most High and portray himself as God. Isaiah 14, 12-15 How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be the most high. You shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depth of the pit. In Hebrew, the word wicked refers to only angels and those people who were initially holy according to their origin. So, holy, can someone who is holy can be transformed into wicked. And the wicked, as Scripture says, this means that he was holy at one point, not just a sinner, but the holy. The cherubim that became wicked, the three men that became wicked, those that were close to God, and there was one thing that separated them from their midst, that they wanted to take the place of another. And so the wicked is one that has sinned, who has been made guilty, rejected himself from life, has fallen from the truth, has loved a lie, he's lawless, unrighteous, villain, criminal, sacrilegious, deafened by the mind, cunning, lost the opportunity of wisdom, challenged the law of God, the man of sin, son of perdition, opponent of God, antichrist, producing distemper, embarrassing, transformed himself from the carrier of life into the carrier of death. These are the rich semantics that stand behind the definition of who the wicked is. And we are talking about how this wicked, we must recognize that all of this is in us, but we started from from the cherubim. Let's continue looking underneath the heaven. Second, the wicked in Scripture is defined by a fallen Christian who tried to take the place of another person who is clothed with the powers of the fatherhood of God in the congregation of saints. Matthew 24, 4-5, And Jesus said, answered and said to him, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. So he says, Christ is anointed one, and then the wicked will say, I am anointed. They will hold this false anointing. Those that contend 
for the role of anointed one. There are different kinds of anointings, as Pastor has told us. Someone had said, I am the same anointed one as you. He said, truly, but we have different kinds of anointing. Your anointing is to accept the teaching, listen, understand, and my anointing is to give you the truth that I have received from the Father and represent the fatherhood of God for you. We are both anointed, but there are different kinds of anointing. And he, and he completely flew out of this church that it turns out that anointed ones have two different kinds of anointing. There are two different kinds of anointing. All of us are anointed, but there are different kinds, and they must not be mis- they must not be mixed because it could transform a person into the wicked. And third, the wicked in scripture is defined as the old man who lives where in our body and is the programmable device that carries the program of the fallen cherubim. Considering that the body of a holy person is the temple of the Holy Spirit or the house of God, the goal of the old man is to take the place of God in the body of a person. Wonderful sentence. As soon as this uncleanness, wickedness, as soon as the wicked realized that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, he wanted to take the place where the Holy Spirit sits. He wants to feel himself a deity in our body. Your body is a temple? How wonderful to hear. I want to sit on this throne in your body. This is what the cherubim wanted to do. Lucifer. Who is the humble? Humble is Christ, the saints in the church, and humble is also our inmost or new man, born from the seed of the word of truth against whom the wicked in the body lead a battle in the face of reigning sin that yields the old man with his works. The power or of the wicked outside our body and inside our body is trust in the strength of his horse and the speed of his own legs. This is where the power of the wicked is. He trusts in the strength of his horse and the speed of his own legs. The image of the wicked trusting in the strength of his horse is trust in the willpower of his soul that the wicked failed to lose in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the voluntary capabilities had to be lost in the death of the Lord Jesus so that they can be made dependent on our renewed thinking. But we see that this does not occur. The willpower or the voluntary capabilities of a wicked person's soul are his own works, which he tries to justify before God and in doing so reject justification that is given to him by God in Christ Jesus as a gift on the conditions of the law of grace. Romans 3.20 Therefore by the deeds of the law no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. And the image of the trust of the wicked and the speed of his legs is trusting in the rational capabilities of the soul or the capabilities of our soul which the wicked also refuse to lose in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. The rational capabilities of the soul of the wicked are his own motives and goals that he tries to achieve using his own principles of faith and prayer. The wicked He tries to use his intellect so that he can use divine principles to achieve his own goals. Ecclesiastes 5.1 Walk prudently when you go to the house of God and draw near to here rather than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they do evil. Everything begins from the correct motives. Walk prudently 
walk and observe what kind of goals you pursue, what kind of goals I pursue when I go into the house of God? This was the first question. To separate the wicked, or rather define the wicked and define the humble in our spirit. Second question, what means and what weapons are necessary to enact for the unveiling of the strength of the name of God most high in our heart in order to give God the basis to lift the humble over the wicked and humiliate the wicked to the ground? The means that are necessary to use for the unleashing of the potential of the strength of the name of God most high in our heart is sing to the Lord alternately with thanksgiving. This is how we can cast out the wicked. Sing to the Lord alternately with thanksgiving. Under thanksgiving, which is the means for unleashing the potential of the strength of the name of God Most High, is referring to the faith of our heart. Thanksgiving is the faith of our heart. While the phrase, sing praises on the harp to our God, refers to the living joy which, like a living spring, is poured out in tongues. The weapon that engages the faith of our heart is referring to the staff of our lips, or rather the proclamation of the faith of our heart with our lips, in which we consider ourselves dead to sin, alive to God, and call the non-existent as existent. Here we see what praises to the Lord or thanksgiving is. This is not just to take psalms and to sing these psalms. They can be sung. If we, in these psalms, contain the essence of our faith that calls the inexistent as existent, where we consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. All Psalms of David are based on this definition. We ought to remember, Lord, I sing these Psalms, but in these Psalms I call the inexistent as existent. This was what David had. I also want to have this. What's interesting is that the verb alternately in the phrase sing to the Lord alternately with praise or thanksgiving in this place of scripture means in Hebrew to answer or react with praise to the voice contained in the heart. And so the phrase sing alternately means that the faith of our heart has a specific voice that could awaken thanksgiving in us to affirm those promises whose voice we have heard in our heart. So sing alternately in praise to the Lord. We talked about what praise is, and here Pastor has shown well what it means to sing alternately. It turns out that it's not just I sing, she sings, or he sings, well, beautiful. To sing alternately means in my heart this must first ring. If my heart, the song does not sing, then my lips won't be able to sing it. The song begins in the heart. Take a look at how it is beautiful ri- written. This is to accept the word of God in our heart so that it can ring there and so that it can have a specific voice of unblemished joy. And then I, with my lips, begin to proclaim and confess in unison, not in conflict with the Spirit, to proclaim that truth that we have accepted. So the key word to sing alternately, if I proclaim or confess the word that I do not have in the heart, I can't sing like David. David sang all of his psalms alternately. He, his his heart, his spirit sang, his lips sang. And the wicked, how is he defined? He does not sing in the heart. There's cats that claw on his, his, his heart, but he sings beautiful psalms. And so, praise in Scripture 
is a kind of legal instrument as well as the legal format that build correct relations with God. It is by means of praise that the children of God are called to affirm their right to relate with God, build a relationship with God, and receive the help of God through praise. When we sing this praise alternately. Now, what is this praise? To praise, there's also a very rich definition contained in it. Uh, First, this is to list the name and titles of God. That's not all. Furthermore, this is to list the accomplished works of God. It is to thank God for the things done by Him. It is to boast of God, to stay and not leave your place, to be true to your vocation, and to not look at the vocation of one another. This is to study and fulfill the desires of God. This is to trust God and rely on God. Psalms 147.1 Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant, and praise is beautiful. Now we move forward. Praise that we sing alternately, it must also be beautiful or upright. What is upright or beautiful praise? This is meeting the requirements of holiness, separated from evil, not involved in rebelliousness, making oneself dependent on the revelations of God, praying in accordance with the requirements of time, crying out for help to God on the basis of His statutes, God-pleasing or pleased to God. This is what beautiful or befitting praise is. And the key to mastering the strategy of praise in this prayer phrase is in the meaning of the verb teach. To teach and to give understanding. To be taught and be given understanding. It is necessary to be taught and to understand befitting praise. Psalms 119 verses 171 through 172 speaks of this. My lips shall utter praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue shall speak of your word, for all your commandments are righteousness. And another place also from Psalms 119, 169 through 170. According to your word, give me understanding. And there was also presented a rich semantics, but I will not take your time right now to review this. And Pastor had shown that in order to be taught this befitting praise, it is necessary first to have a teacher. And it is necessary to accept this word in our heart. I am taught. He says this is not enough. Now we need to be given understanding of this truth. That's what we do in our home church groups or when we meet with one another and gather, we begin to be given understanding or rather those revelations that we receive through being taught to bring them to understanding to our minds that we can understand those truths that I heard on Friday and Sunday through being taught, through being given understanding in our fellowship with one another. It's more effective when people have fellowship. It's easier for us to receive some kind of understanding when together. It's difficult when a person on his own could think and think and think and think on his own. But sometimes I'm beginning to speak with saints regarding some kind of truth after church. And then all of a sudden everything begins to grow richer and everything begins to be put in its place. It's they fulfill this, they, they, this truth that we are taught, we bring it to our understanding, we gain understanding of this truth. And this works very well. 
This was the first price or the first condition. Today, again, I'll remind you that we are talking about the conditions and the price that we ought to pay so that we can collaborate with the name of God's strength. The second condition or the second price for unveiling the potential of strength in the name of God most high in our heart necessary for a battle against our enemies is in returning to the place appointed by God in rest. To know our place appointed by God and to be found in this place in complete rest. Isaiah 30, 15 For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved, in quietness and confidence shall be your strength. But you would not. Isaiah 30, 15 Where is our strength? In quietness and confidence. There are three questions that arise. Who is the enemy? that is attempting to attack our salvation in this place of scripture. And what kind of salvation are we referring to? In which dwells this quietness and trust. In returning unrest you shall be saved, in quietness and trust shall be your strength. Second, which should be viewed as the place of our salvation, which quietness and confidence, or rather trust, abide. In returning and rest, you shall be saved. This is a very active action. It talks about returning and remaining. Do we need to do something, run somewhere, save someone? No, to remain in your place. And Saul didn't understand this. He needed to simply remain in his place. And he said, he began to bring sacrifices, and the prophet of the Lord came and said, What are you doing? I told you, remain in rest. This is the most active verb in heaven, to remain in rest and know your place. Why are you not calm? Because this lack of calmness is disbelief, and he didn't understand these two verbs. Let us answer these three questions. And I'll remind you, the first question who is the enemy that is attempting to attack our salvation? You will say, who might I lose it? This must be devil. This might be wicked people or my old man. No. Here, there are two unique enemies that are going to be presented to us. This is God, who gave us the holy law of Moses, and our soul. From, who, from which depends our salvation. And they might be the enemies of our salvation if we do not correctly collaborate with them. And so, first, based on this historical text of the Lord's actions, it follows that the enemy of our salvation is directly God Himself in the dignity of His law. If He finds the sin of disobedience in our heart, God then is an enemy of salvation, enemy against salvation. People said, have we not prophesied in your name and done many wonders? And did you not do wonders in our streets? He looked at them as enemies and he said, you lawless, I never knew you. And they said, well, then when do we become your enemies? He said from the very beginning, because you did not understand what the quietness 
and what rest is in this quietness. You did something, you had done some kind of wonders, taught and preached on some kind of streets. As I was in the atmosphere of quietness and the, in the action of rest. So God is the enemy of our salvation to these kind of people. The sin of disobedience to God is comprised of the fact that those whom God calls His nations and who draw near to Him only with their lips, but whose hearts are far from Him and revering before Him, for they study the commandments of man. For these people, God is the enemy of their salvation. While the salvation that is offered to us, along with quietness and trust, is deliverance from the dangers of His law that discovers sin in our body and gives power to sin which produces death. It follows that to be freed from the law of sin and death that is located in our body, it is necessary to first be rid of reigning sin that lives in our body, over which stands the old man with his works. And as we know, the procedure for being delivered from the old man and his works is comprised of the fact that we, on the requirements in Scripture, could, with the law, die to the law so that we could live for the one that has died and risen. Galatians 2, 18-21 For with the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, life in, live not according to the flesh, but in the flesh. He didn't live according to the flesh, but in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I did not set aside the grace of God. I did not set aside this quietness of God. Not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. If in this noise there is justification in personal works, then Christ died in vain. And according to our study of God's actions in the text we are studying, to die to the law with the law, it is necessary to find ourselves in quietness and trust. And in this manner, give God the basis to save us from the old man with his works, against whom is directed the all-incinerating holiness of his law. And second, the enemy, we saw here that God is the enemy. And second, based on the text of the Lord's actions, we are studying a falls that the enemy of our salvation we turn to in order to be saved from the wrath of the Almighty is our own soul. What kind of soul, though? The soul which we refuse to lose in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. So our soul is our enemy. And from our soul depends the salvation of our spirit and our body. Either we gain our soul as our friend, and it can be gained in the death of the Lord Jesus, or it becomes our enemy and the enemy of salvation. Our own soul can be the enemy of salvation if it is not lost in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. The second question, what should we view as the place of our salvation in which abide the union of quietness and trust? It is important to look at the powers of the dignity of quietness and trust in the boundaries of a specific place of Scripture. Because outside of these boundaries established by God, they lose their powers and remain only on our lips. This is seen from the phrase, again, Isaiah 30, 15, in leaving in remaining in your place and rest you shall be saved and quietness and trust shall be your strength but you would not 
According to these words from Holy Israel, it follows that the place we should return to, or rather remain at, and rest is referring to the quietness that abides in our heart and is the atmosphere and state of our heart, whereas rest is referring to the result of this quietness that is expressed in trust. In other words, quietness is the atmosphere, the atmosphere that is for hope and the revelation to be in our heart and the trust that flows from this quietness. The rest that flows is trust that comes from hope in the revelations of God. Quietness is hope, rest is trust. And without having hope and trust, we would not be able to be saved. In other words, quietness is the foundation of our salvation, and trust is the building we build on the foundation of quietness. Let us take a look at how Jesus cooperated with these two terms in his life, in his service. There was quietness present, the firm hope in the teaching in his heart, and full rest trusting in God that he is faithful to his word and this full rest could be there where there's an atmosphere of quietness where certain revelations are placed in the heart and when the revelations are placed in the heart there was hope that was based there and this hope gives way to rest that is built in trust Mark 4, 37-41 let us look at Christ and a great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling but he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm that was in the heart of Christ. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and sea obey him? This is the one, this is the Christ, in whose heart there was great quietness. Great quietness is the great teaching and the great commandments that are written in the heart of a person, which, through proclamation, bring to rest all of that which is in other spheres or on the outside through rest and trust. And so the third question, we are continuing to remain in this place of Scripture and studying it. What should we what should we view as the active action of the word returning or remaining? Or how do we stand watch at the gates of quietness and confidence? How do we keep hold of this atmosphere of quietness that we can be in the state of rest and trust in the Word of God? The dignity of quietness and trust or rest that yield the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh that is contained in the nature and property of narrow gates and a narrow path. Narrow gates and a narrow path will allow me to enter and be found in the state of quietness. Matthew 7, 13-14 Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, or rather resurrection. And there are few who find it. And so... The condition, first, in order to enter through the narrow gate, it is necessary to distinguish the narrow from the wide gate and the narrow path 
from the broad path. Second, for the right to enter the narrow gate, it is necessary to throw off your clothes, that is, to strip and then put on new clothes given by God. To take off the self-righteousness and be clothed in the righteousness of God. To be found in Him, not with our own righteousness that is from the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. Third, for the right to enter the narrow gate is necessary to consciously abandon any burden, any inheritance, and all that does not correspond to the nature of the narrow gate. Fourth, for the right to enter the narrow gate, you must put yourself in the nature of the narrow gate and also to place the nature of the narrow gate in your heart. And fifth, for the right to enter the narrow gate, one must constantly be vigilant and stand guard over the commandments of God. And so, narrow gates are given for what? That I can have the right to quietness that expresses itself in trust in the Lord. First we have hope and then trust that is built on our hope. And when there is there is quietness and rest, when a person proclaims the word of God with his lips, it begins to work. But if there is no quietness in the heart and he begins to proclaim the word, it does not work. They said, who is he that all obeys him? The quietness, hope, and trust, the rest of God. And he calmly proclaimed the word of God, which worked. And this was a second price. And all of this is necessary for us, that we can gain our soul as well as God, that they are not our enemies, the enemies of our salvation. Because in the heart in which there is no quietness, where demons a sound and ring, then God for this person is an enemy. And the soul must also become our friend and understand that there's a lot that depends on it. Scripture says, Brother, save your souls. We are saved in hope. If your soul will continue to act as your enemy, then you will lose everything, your spirit and body. Everything is going to be thrown in the lake of fire. Therefore, it is necessary to gain the soul as a friend. And how do we do this? We need to, in the death of the Lord Jesus, die to die to our nation, the house of our Father, and our corrupt desires. This was the second price. The third price, the condition for unveiling the potential of the strength of the name of God most high in our heart, necessary for battle against our enemies, will be comprised of us presenting evidence that we are the rod from the stem of Jesse in a branch growing out of his roots. Isaiah 11, verses 1 through 5. Then he shall come forth a rod. Then shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, strength, the Spirit of knowledge uh, and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the fear of his ears. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity the case of the sufferers of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteous shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness the belt of his waist. The main purpose that the strength of the name of God Most High pursues in this prophetic promise is that with the rod of our mouth, representing the proclamation of the faith of our heart, we destroyed the land of our slavery, and with the breath of our spirit, of our lips, we kill the wicked in our earthly body, in the face of the old man. 
First, the strength of the name of God most high in a person is not just some kind of inner property or some kind of character trait that is inherited, but this is mercy and truth of the most high that is called to, in the face of the Spirit of the Lord, to abide only on that person that is going to be a rod that comes from the stem of Jesse and a branch that grows of its roots. So the name of God most high, or the strength of this name, occurs there in him who is a branch of the roots of this stem. And so, a holy person is always dissolved and balanced with dignity such as spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, and the spirit of knowledge and the, the fear of the Lord. A balance of these dignities expressed in the nature of the Holy Spirit abiding on man gives God the basis to fill this person with the fear of the Lord that he could judge the poor with righteousness and decide with equity for the meek of the earth or the sufferers. Considering that origination from the stem of Jesse is an indispensable condition that gives the Spirit of the Lord the basis to rest on us, to bestow upon us the authority of the strength of his name, we will need to answer a number of questions. First question, what should we consider in our body as the land of slavery? And who in our body are the poor and sufferers in the land of our slavery, which must be destroyed with the rod of our mouth? As well as, who represents the wicked living in our earthly body, who contends to be a ruler in our earthly body, whom we must destroy with the breath of our lips? So before the Lord destroys with the spirit of his lips the Antichrist, the wicked, he wants us to deal with our wicked in us and to destroy him with the spirit of our lips, with the breath of our lips. And second, on what conditions are we called to meet the requirements of a rod coming from the stem of Jesse in order to give the spirit of the Lord the basis to rest on us in the strength of the Most High? Third, what weapon and what means are necessary to enact? that with the rod of our mouth we could destroy the land of our slavery, and with the spirit or breath of our lips we destroy the wicked living in our earthly body and forth, what conditions are necessary to fulfill to receive the authority for the right to enact the weapons and means contained in the strength of the name of God Most High in order to destroy the land of our slavery and kill the wicked living in our earthly body? The conflict that is presented in this prophetic passage should only be viewed in the dimension of time, in the earthly body of a person who, in his spirit, coincides with the requirements of a rod that comes from the stem of Jesse. All of this is going to be spoken. These, All these four questions we are going to answer, looking at the person who meets the requirements of this stem or this rod from the stem of Jesse, what God will do through him in his own body. We are talking about those saints. And so, let's remember the first question, what should we consider in our body as the land of slavery? And who in our body are the poor and sufferers in the land of our slavery, as well as who represents the wicked living in our earthly body, who contends to be a ruler in our earthly body? The poor and sufferers in the land of our slavery, which we are called to destroy with the rod of our mouth, is our new man, born from the seed of the word of truth, the preached word of the messengers of God, who is called to establish the power of eternal life in our body. Our new man is the poor and the sufferer. The land of our slavery is Egyptian land in the face of our soul, ruled by Pharaoh in the face of our carnal mind, over which stands reigning sin in the face of our old man. The old man, who we are called to destroy with the breath of our lips, 
is a programmable device of personified sin, which we inherited from the seed of the vain life of our fathers in the flesh. Thus, only after our birth from the seed of the word of truth did we discover in our body two anointed by God kings called to reign in the limits of our earthly body in the dimension of time over the voluntary and emotional sphere of our soul. The first anointed king called to reign in the limits of our earthly body in the dimension of time over the voluntary and emotional sphere of our soul is our carnal mind. So Saul, that relates to the rational sphere of our soul over which stand the authority of our old man with his works. The second anointed king called to reign in the limits of our earthly body in the dimension of time over the voluntary and emotional sphere of our soul is the mind of Christ, David, related to the rational sphere of our born of God spirit over which stands the authority of our new man. A question arises on what conditions are we called to meet the requirements of a rod coming from the stem of Jesse in order to give the Spirit of the Lord the basis to rest on us in the strength of the Most High. In Hebrew, the word, verb rest will find peace in man, will rest in the heart of a person, will make the heart of man the place of his refuge, will judge the poor in the body of man in truth, will strike the wicked in the body of man, will stop the wrath of God turned against man, will gird man's loins with the truth, will fill and clothe a person in the peace and tranquility of the Most High. This is the person on whom will dwell the Spirit of the Lord. In the physical world, the origin of a person or the birth of a person does not depend either on his desire or his choice. But, in the spiritual world, to partake to the branch originating from the stem of Jesse or to be born from the stem of Jesse depends entirely on the choice and decision of a person which are contained with the execution of the strict statutes of the Lord. If we are born in a certain family, in a certain nation, in a certain country, we don't have a choice for this. But we do have a choice to come from the stem of Jesse, and this is our choice. We can choose what root we come from, and from what root will grow our branch. And the word Jesse, his name means Yahweh is Jehovah. And therefore the phrase, there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots, would sound like this. And the rod will be revived from the seed of Yahweh, and the branch will grow from his seed. So through Yahweh. The condition for choosing one's origin and the dimension of spirit are conditions on the basis of which man is offered a choice of life and death, and subsequent to this choice, eternal blessings or eternal damnations that are not susceptible to awareness of the mind. The rod in the seed of Yahweh, in the dignity of the name of Jesse, is the hereditary program of eternal life abiding in the seed of the word of Yahweh, in the dignity of the law of God. This is where the root of the seed of Yahweh is located, in the dignity of the name Jesse. This is truth, as the program, as the teaching, that dwells in the word Yahweh, and that is a legislation of God. 
a question, do we want to come from this kind of root? Ordination from the stem of Jesse is first birth from the seed of the word of truth. Not just when in the former Soviet Union people said people would say, Lord will heal you, the Lord will give you a wife, money, you can go to America and People thought, what kind of a kind God we have. Thousands came to the stadiums. And people from other countries look at, well, look at what kind of revival is in Russia and Ukraine and other different republics of the former Soviet Union. But there, there was just a sausage that was shown in front of these people and the people came. And of course, there were people among them that correctly accepted the Lord Jesus. Not many of them. In order to be born from the rod, from Jesse means to be born from the word, see the word of truth that makes us a branch originating from the stem of Jesse or a new man accorded, according to God in Christ Jesus, bearing in himself the hereditary program of eternal life. The condition, however, for the affirmation of our origin from the stem of Jesse is intended to be recognition of a person representing the fatherhood of God for us. So, if we have to affirm our root, we accept the person whom God set before us. Matthew 10, 40-42 He who receives you, who receives me, and he who receives me, receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. The third question, what weapon and what means are necessary to enact? so that with the rod of our mouth we could destroy the land of our slavery and with the spirit or breath of our lips destroy the wicked living in our body. Take a look, we are drawing near to this person. First, pastor showed for us very interestingly, in order to fight with this wicked inside us, it is necessary for us to verify the address, to see the truth that we were born from, to affirm our birth in accepting the order of God in our heart. And now, take a look, we're going closer and closer toward our enemy, towards the enemy where there is the front line of war going on, but we can't draw near to it until we do not define our coordinates in the spirit that we belong to the root, that we are descendants of Jesse. And so, the means that we are called to use in order to destroy the earth with the rod of our lips and to kill the wicked living in our earthly body in the face of our old man with his works and the prophetic phrase we are considering is in the fear of the Lord. As we read, his delight is in the fear of the Lord and he shall judge not by the sight of his eyes nor decide by the hearing of his ears but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity the case of the sufferers of the earth. Evidence that we are a branch from the rod of Jesse we can have when the spirit of the Lord is upon us but only when we show wisdom in the heart, revealing the truth, the meaning of truth in the heart, and to manifest himself in the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And as we say, this fear of the Lord that has created, been created by the atmosphere of the Holy Spirit with the fear of the Lord will always be counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. I have put wisdom wisdom that stands first, put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans 
that is called to give the Holy Spirit the basis to dwell in us in the format of the wisdom that uncovers the truth in the heart and to manifest itself in the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Exodus 31, 6, I have put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans that they may make all that I have commanded you. What did he command? What did he command us? He said, build a temple, build a tabernacle, and kill the wicked. He also commanded us, but to kill the wicked, it is necessary for us to have, as we heard, the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord must occur from the Holy Spirit. The presence of the Holy Spirit is defined by the presence of wisdom. The presence of wisdom is defined by the presence of the spirit of wisdom and counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of godliness. And now that we have uh, clarified our coordinates, now we go head to head with our enemy. The instrument that employs the fear of the Lord to smite the land of Egypt and kill the wicked living in our earthly body with the breath of our lips is the rod of our mouth placed at the disposal of the faith of our heart. As it is written, He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Fourth question, what conditions are necessary to fulfill to receive the authority for the right to enact the weapons and means contained in the strength of the name of God Most High in order to destroy the land of our slavery and kill the wicked living in our body? How to destroy the land of slavery and kill the wicked living in our body? We must know that before the time of rapture comes, God's chosen remnant is called called upon to strike the land of its slavery with the rod of its mouth and kill the wicked in its body with the breath of its lips in order to receive a guarantee of eternal life in our earthly body. First, the death of the wicked in our body is the birth of our Methuselah, whose name means banishing death which will be evidence to us that we have pleased God. And the death of the wicked in our body is a testimony for the angels of the Most High, who in the dignity of His servants are called to accompany us as His children to God and His throne. As it is written, Luke 17, 22-37, Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. How do we lose our soul? Lord, I died to my nation, our my household, and my own desires. Through this proclamation, I have killed my soul, and now I become a stranger, an orphan, and a widow. They are those people who have lost their soul, and whoever loses his soul will preserve it. I tell you, in that night there will be two men in one bed. The one will be taken and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding together. The one will be taken and the other left. Two men will be in the field. The one will be taken and the other left. And they answered and said to him, Where, Lord? So he said to them, Wherever the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. So there, there where a person has the rod of lips with which he destroyed the land of his slavery, his Egypt, his soul, and the wicked who stood behind it. This is that body. And when they see that we have this body, and this body is going to be present when we have this Methuselah, Methuselah who banishes death. How does he banish death? 
This is done with the rod of our lips to destroy the land of our slavery and to kill the wicked. This tells us that we have given birth to Methuselah. This isn't mean to endure some kind of euphoria or some kind of feelings. I feel like I'm going to be raptured. I feel this. So what's going to come? Each day I feel something, that something is coming, especially when I look at the news. So many emotions. Although I rarely, I don't know what is happening in Kiev, Russia. Have they stopped or not? We don't watch the news. As w- the news, all these Russian channels were turned off in America. I don't, I don't have any opportunity to watch news now, and it's what I hear from saints that I, that I hear. Perhaps something is continuing to, to, to go on. We look at Turkey, Syria, Israel, that is going to define there or there where they are going to go. The fourth condition, unveiling the potential of strength of the name of God most high in our heart necessary for battle against our enemies. We will study the conditions that are comprised of us presenting evidence to God that we have hidden from our enemies in the stronghold that we have overtaken. Take a look at where, where the strength of the name of God lies. That when the enemies are going to pursue us, we need to hide in the stronghold that we have previously overtaken, as David had done, interestingly. Second Samuel 5, 17-20 Now when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. And David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. The Philistines also went and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephaim. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, Go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hand. So David went to Baal-perazim, and David defeated them there. And he said, The Lord has broken through my enemies before me, like a breakthrough of water. Therefore he called the name of that place Baal-perazim. It is the ability of David to hide in the stronghold he had overtaken that gave God the foundation to clothe David in the strength of his name. Again, it is the ability of it is the ability of us and David to hide in the stronghold that we have previously overtaken that gave God the foundation to clothe us and David in the strength of the name of God so that he can go and destroy the Philistines that rose up against him. Considering that we are studying this event in our body, we will need to answer a set of questions tied to the situations that David found himself in. First, who are the Philistines? And what role do they play in our earthly body in the dimension of time? Second, what circumstance prompted the Philistines to search for David to fight with him? Third, why did the Philistines choose the Valley of Rephaim to be the platform for their battle against David? And fourth, Where is a stronghold in which David hid from the Philistines and in which God could hear David and clothe him into the strength of his name? The Philistines, as we know, are the descendants of Cain, the son of Ham, who settled in the land of the Lord and made it the land of their dwelling, long before God promised to give this land to Abraham and his descendants. The land of the Lord in which the Philistines dwelt is an image of our body 
which God had redeemed from sin and death, by virtue of which the eyes of the Lord were continually turned to this earth. A beautiful passage. The land of the Lord in which the Philistines dwelt is an image of our body, which God had redeemed from sin and death, by virtue of which, by virtue of which, how closely we hold on to our redemption by faith, calling the inexistent as existent, considering ourselves so dead to sin and alive to God, by virtue of which the eyes of the Lord were continually, without ceasing, turned to this earth on our body. Therefore, the land of Canaan is an image of a man who, through instruction and faith, was born from the seed of the word of truth, by virtue of which his earthly body became the property of God and hallowed unto him. Deuteronomy 11:10-12. For the land which you go to possess is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you sowed your seed and watered it by foot as the vegetable garden. But the land which you cross over to possess is a land of hills and valleys. We're talking about the land of Canaan. It drinks water from the rain of heaven, a land for which the Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it from the beginning of the year to the very end of the year. Take a look at where the promise is found in the land of Canaan. This means that we need to leave Egypt, leave the soul in order to take Canaan and for Canaan to become Israel, to be victorious. This promised land, again, that had hills and valleys, which drinks water from the rain of the heaven, a land for which the Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it from the beginning of the year to the very end of the year. Take a look at how God views our body. Despite the fact that this is the land of Canaan, as Pastor said, the land of Canaan is the body in which reigns reigning sin, but when he is tied through proclamation, and then this becomes the land of Israel, victorious. After our birth from the seed of the word of truth, when our heart was cleansed of dead works, and on its tablets the truth of the commanding teaching of Christ was sealed, it became a place of the burning fire of the Holy Spirit, from which come the thoughts of the mind of Christ, warring thoughts which are kindled by reigning sin that they war against, so they war against these thoughts that are kindled by reigning sin. Second question, what circumstance prompted the Philistines to search for David to fight with him? We are talking about how these Philistines uncircumcised are in us. Why did they begin to reveal themselves in such a way? The reason that prompted the wicked and uncircumcised Philistines to seek David to fight him was the fact that David was anointed to rule over all of Israel, or above all of Israel, or above the land of Palestine or the land of Canaan. This is evident from the phrase, Now when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines went up, all of them went up to search for David. This is an image of a very desirable and significant event. For us, this is a very desirable and significant event in my life and each Christian that is called to occur in the earthly body, in the dimension of time, every person born of the seed of the word of truth, which should mark the anointing power for the right to rule over our body. And such an anointing power for the right to control one's body or rule over it 
is presented in the renewal of our thinking with the spirit of our mind, which is the mind of Christ in our spirit. And when we renew our thinking with the spirit of our mind, when we accept teaching and understanding, first through teaching, we learn to hear the word of the Holy Spirit through the words, and through understanding we begin to understand our spirit and our mind, then this means that David has been reigned to rule. And here Philistines will show all of their power against this. Before this, they hid uh, behind a religious uh, facade, but here they will uncover themselves. There is a specific enemy that they see in the face of David. Second Samuel 5, 1-4 through 4, Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and spoke, saying, Indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. Also, in time past, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord said to you, You shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over Israel. Therefore all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. Saul representing an image of the carnal mind, whom God anointed as a king of Israel in his anger at this time had already died. As it is written, Hosea 13.11, I gave you a king in my anger and took him away in my wrath. David, in contrast to Saul, represented the image of the mind of Christ. Hebron, where the elders of the twelve tribes of Israel came to anoint David as king over all Israel, is the place of the covenant. Hebron is the place of the covenant. The phrase, David was 30 years old when he began to reign, points to the time in which a person from the heritage of Aaron could dedicate himself as a priest to God in order to serve as priest before the face of the Lord and present the will of God of Israel. In this manner, David presented in himself simultaneously two images, a king and priest. This is the time when a man redeemed by God is considered by God to be a perfect man who has come to the full measure of the stature of Christ, who can no longer hesitate and take a great interest in every wind of teaching that contains the deceit of men and the cunning art of seduction. The image of the elders of the twelve tribes of Israel, with whom David made a covenant before the Lord in Hebron, and who anointed him to rule over all Israel, is an image of the truth of the commanding teaching of Christ in the twelve foundations of the walls of the New Jerusalem, with which a person, renewed by the spirit of his mind, made a covenant. The twelve elders is the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ, in which we make a covenant in our renewed thinking. Thus, the truth of the reigning teaching of Christ, accepted and abiding in the heart of man with which man made a covenant, anoints him to rule over his whole body, which transforms his body from the status of the land of Canaan to the status of the land of Israel. How wonderful! It turns out that the truth, the truth that we have accepted in the commandments of Christ, they will anoint us to reign over all of our body. And they transform my body from the land of Canaan, in which sin reigned, into the land of Israel, where the Holy Spirit is the Lord and ruler. This is what truth does. This is what the teaching does. Take a look at how interesting this is written. Third question, why did the Philistines choose the Valley of Rephaim to be the platform for their battle against David? 
the Rephaim, in whose memory the valley, valley was named, was chosen by the Philistines for the battle with David. These are former giants descended from the union of the sons of God with the daughters of men, whom God destroyed with the waters of the flood. Genesis chapter 6, verses 1-6. through six. Now, when men begin to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters are born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves, of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh. Yet his days shall be one hundred and twenty years. There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came in to the daughters of men, and they bore children to them those who were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. And the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. And so the sons of God, these are the descendants of Seth, in the days of which his posterity began to call upon God, of whom Eve Adam's wife said, For God has anointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. Genesis 4, 25-26 So again, we are looking at who Seth is, descendants. And Adam, Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called, named him Seth. For she said, For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. And as for Seth, to him also a son was born, and he named him Enosh. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. And the daughters of men are the offspring of Cain, who settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden, which means the land of exile, where he gave birth to his firstborn son, called him Enoch, and built the city, and called the city after his son Enoch. Genesis 4, 16-17 Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod, on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore an Enoch. And he built a city, and called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. The name Enoch in Hebrew is pronounced Hanoch, and means a dedication to God, from which it must be concluded that Cain, in the land of his exile from the face of God, dedicated himself to the service of God in a format that was rejected by God. What is the land of Nod, and what is the Enoch that Cain bore? This is, Cain dedicates him to service which God had already rejected. He again returned to, to serve God diligently with those methods that God showed him that he hated. Do not seek what I have, but seek me. Do not seek for healing. Seek for the healer. Do not search for anointing. Look for the anointer. Search for me. But he, again, returned. And Enoch, this was his rebellion against God, that I am again returning to my service, but only in the format which you, Lord, have rejected. I will prove to you that I was right. I will evangelize. I will bring people to salvation. What are you going to tell me when I bring all of this before your face and tell you, look at my fruit, look how many people I have saved? It's dangerous to do so. 
and his dedication to God in the format of his service to God in which his daughters took an active part in differed from the Fort Amanda mystery of the sons of God and was so fascinating and unusual that the sons of God were attracted to the beauty of the daughters of men and it was from such a union that giants began to be born. The phrase, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, says of the fact that this service was viewed by God as only evil continually. And the reason for this evil were their own thoughts, which did not coincide with the thoughts of God. The fact is that for the flesh, a mixture of divine truth with carnal views on divine truth is always tempting and exciting, especially when giants are born from this mixture in the form of powerful and influential religious movements that have nothing to do with dedication and true worship to God. And so the fourth question, where is a stronghold in which David hid from the Philistines and in which God could hear David and clothed him in the strength of his name, after which God destroyed the Philistines in the valley of Rephaim? When the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David and David heard of it and went down to the stronghold the stronghold in which David hid from the Philistine in which God could hear David and clothe him in the strength of his name was the strength of Mount Zion upon which Jerusalem was built. Considering that the strength of Zion in the dignity of Jerusalem on high is found in three dimensions in the heights of the heavens first, second in the sanctuary in the church, and third in a humble and contrite spirit of a person who trembles before every word that comes from the lips of God, it will be necessary for us to discover the strength of Zion in our spirit with one goal, in order to place it in our earthly body in the dimension of time. Otherwise, we will depart from the goal that is presented to us by God, yielded by the fact that the strength of the name of God Most High found in our spirit could destroy the power of death found in our earthly body and raise up in its place the power of life. The powers of the name of God's strength that are found in our spirit must destroy the power of death that is found in our body and to raise up the power of life. And uh, looking at what we are studying, to take refuge in the stronghold of Zion is possible only in the beauty of the virtuous wife in her double garments. This is the daughter of Seth, not the daughter of Cain. This is the Church of God. Proverbs 31, 10 through 26. I will read selectively. He who can find a virtuous wife? Who can find a virtuous wife? Not the daughters of Cain. Who can find a virtuous wife in the dignity of narrow gates? Her worth is far above rubies. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household is clothed with scarlet, double garments. Her clothing is a fine linen and purple. She will rejoice in time to come. Take a look at where the strength is found in. It is found in the virtuous wife, in the church of Christ, in the bride of the Lamb. She has strength and she has beauty. The others had only beauty. That's the secret. Is that when they saw only beauty, they began to take for themselves only this beauty. But the virtuous wife, she has beauty. 
but along with strength, strength of the name of God Most High. The phrase, she is not afraid of snow for her household because all of her family is clothed in double garments. Under this snow, we see an image of the second death that is inherited by the first Adam from the fallen cherubim in the image of the cunning serpent. From this snow, second death, it is necessary for us to be clothed in double garments in justification that is transforms itself through the offering of the fruit of the Lord Jesus into righteousness, resurrection. Under the image of the double garments and the dignity of strength and beauty is seen the format of justification that has transformed into the format of righteousness of the heart. Psalms 112, 6-8 Surely he will never be shaken. The righteous will be in everlasting remembrance. He will not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is established. He will not be afraid until he sees his enemies. In the phrase, strength and beauty are her garments, and she shall rejoice in time to come. This means that thanks to the dignity of her garments that are yielded by strength, righteousness, and beauty that comes from this righteousness, she joyfully looks at the imperishable riches of Christ and in part on the promise that relates to the door of our hope. Who can think, right, that she looks joyfully at her future? She looks at the promise that relates to the door of our hope. How beautiful. And the word beauty, which comes from the strength of the garments, of double garments, in the dignity of her righteousness in this place of scripture, in Hebrew, has a completely different meaning that has nothing in common with the beauty of the daughters of men. Beauty of the daughters of Zion is greatness, honor, glory, dignity, nobility, that expresses itself in chastity in the atmosphere of unblemished joy. This is the qualities that brothers and sisters are called to have. This, These are the qualities in the virtuous wife. Practically, this atmosphere of the kingdom of heaven dwelling in the heart of a person and the heart of a person dwelling in the atmosphere of the kingdom of heaven. Psalms 27, verse 1 through 3. The Lord is the light of my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will hope. Amen. Let us pray. May you be blessed in your prayers. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. We thank you for the word of God and for the light of the Holy Spirit, for the revelation of the Holy Spirit, who reveals the word of God for us. We thank you for these truths. We thank you that you continue to teach us and reveal your names and your dignities that are your characteristics. And we ask you, we ask that these characteristics and these virtues to be ours. And we make them ours when we place them in our heart. When we renew our thinking with these truths and when we proclaim these truths with our lips, we, Lord, become partakers of your divine essence. 
and we receive access to the powers of the future age, which are your holy characteristics and manifestations of your holiness, your truth, and your life. We thank you that we today, with joy, can look at the future, because you have allowed us to hear about the strength and open the beauty of your word and your revelation. And we today accept your truth and thank you for that word that we hear. And you have allowed us, with joy, to look to our future. As the Lord lives, and blessed be our protector, blessed is the Lord our strength, who destroys all of our enemies, who destroys the enemies to the ground and raises up the humble. We ask you, we pray for you, Lord, to raise up the humble, our innermost man, let him be anointed to reign over all of our essence so that you can reign in our body and our body can become a temple, a temple of the Holy Spirit. And for this, Lord, we ask, we pray so that you can cast out the wicked from the throne. And we today direct the rod of our lips against the wicked living in our body. And we ask you, May he be destroyed in the name of Jesus Christ. May he be destroyed and may he be overthrown, cast out. We thank you, Lord, for the rod of our lips. We thank you for the rod of the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ, who in his time will destroy with the rod of his lips the wicked and all of his army that is going to gather against holy Israel. But you, Lord, will allow us today to foretaste your victory and to receive this victory in our own bodies. That victory that you are going to fulfill with your bride when you will come in your coming, you first want to fulfill this victory in our spirit, in our soul, and in our body. That's why, Lord, we pray that may the wicked be destroyed in our essence and may he be destroyed by the rod of our lips. May he be cast out to the earth and may the earth and our body for him be a prison in a jail and may our body be a temple of the Holy Spirit in the house of God in which lives the Holy Spirit as Lord and ruler of our life we thank you Lord that we today have a belonging to the stem of Jesse you have allowed us to be born through your truth and we thank you, Lord, for your truth through which we were born. We thank you, Lord, for this truth, the truth that helps us to grow. And we thank you for that truth that at a certain point for each of us will become these 12 elders who are going to anoint us and our new man, our innermost man, to reign over our body. We thank you that you do all through your Holy Spirit and through your truth which we have hidden in our heart and which you spread, you spread upon all of our essence. We thank you that we are able to hide in your strength and that you are our strength. And you have allowed us to receive the stronghold and we today being found in the stronghold, the atmosphere of divine quietness that brings 
our spirit to complete rest, you have said that if we are found in rest, we would be saved, and quietness and trust would be our strength. Therefore, Lord, we thank you that you today create an atmosphere of quietness when we accept your revelation, your word in our heart. And that becomes the firm hope, firm trust and hope in our heart. And we are found in complete rest, being found in your word and looking upon our wonderful future and upon the fearful future that awaits the wicked. The wicked in this world, the wicked in the church, the wicked in the spiritual realm and in our essence. But we today worry about that wicked that is found in the limits of our own body. We do not care about the one that is going to come out to the arena because you are going to give him a very short amount of time and we bow down before you and acknowledge you in your anointing status that the time will come that you will allow this wicked one to reign for a short amount of time on this earth so that then he can be destroyed. And we ask you, Lord, to complete the victory victory in your saints, complete your victory in us. May in the name of Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus Christ, the wicked be destroyed out of the limits of our body. This land of Canaan, upon which you direct your attention to, and you continually look upon it, let it become the land of Israel. Allow us from all of our limits, the limits of our essence and our body, to cast out yours and our enemies. And for this, Lord, we run through your mercy to your name, through your name, our strength. And as the Lord lives, our strength, who is able to do all of this in us, as the Lord lives, our strength, who through the proclamation of our lips will destroy the wicked from the limits of our body. As the Lord lives our strength, He will destroy the wicked and lawless in His body, in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the Church of Christ, as the Lord our strength lives. Show in Your holiness, Lord, in Your strength, in Your power. Show the power and the might of You. And we, in the fear of the Lord, come to You, and we ask You and pray for Your mercy, and we keep ourselves in a state of full divine quietness and full rest, awaiting for the fulfillment of your promise, which you have spoken to us during these end times. We thank you for that word that we were able to have today, the right to read, in which we had the right to be clothed in and to proclaim. And we ask you, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, May our pastor, Brother Arkady, be given your revelation for your church. We cherish this word. We are astonished by this word. We cherish this word and we tremble before this word and we tremble before the might of your word. And you have taken us. You have taken us into the wilderness through the beauty of your word, through the beauty of your commandments. And we are grateful to you for your word, for your greatness and your might, and for all of your names that you have placed in your word, that you have exalted above all your name. And we want to collaborate with each of your names, but in your word, that you have magnified above all your name. We bow down before you 
before your greatness, before the word of your greatness and your might, before the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, his body and blood. We thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for Zion, for Jerusalem. We thank you for the atmosphere of rest in our heart. May your name be blessed and praised, our Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us conclude with our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding unblemished joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.